We all have our reasons as to why we play pickleball, but Angela Galifant's motivation is unique as she shares what drives her during today's episode of the Pickleball Fire podcast. Be sure to listen to this inspiring story and find out what is really in her backpack. Let's get to the intro to hear from Angela. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Angela Galifant. How are you doing today, Angela? Good. All right. Well, I am so glad that you and I were able to connect. I know you have a very amazing and inspiring story, which we'll definitely get to. But go ahead. I do like to normally start off with a little bit about your pickleball journey, how you first heard about the game and approximately how long ago that was. I thought about this. I've been asked this a few times. I know I knew about pickleball since at least before 2013. I think I first learned about it because I went on an extended trip with my kids to Europe in 2010 or 2011, and we learned how to play paddle. And we really loved it. So we thought we would come back to the States and see if we could play it here. But in the research I did, we couldn't find any information on paddle in the U.S. at all. But I think that's when I actually found out about pickleball. And I was doing the research on that. And I thought, that looks really fun. And I played tennis for quite some time. So in 2013, we were able to submit requests for our rotations for PA school of sites we would like to go to. And they had ended up having one opening for a rotation in St. George. And I knew they played pickleball in St. George. So I applied and I told my family, I hope I get the rotation in St. George. I hope I'm the student that gets to do that because I want to learn how to play pickleball. And I was the one that got it. So I went down there and had no clue how to play. I didn't know where I was going to play or who I would play with. But I'm pretty, I'm kind of a problem solver. So I decided I'd just figure it out. So I went to a local sporting goods store and just bought a $20 set with two wooden paddles and a couple balls and started making phone calls and discovered they did have a pickleball complex that had drop-in play. And I just showed up at the time they said they had it. And some locals taught me how to play. So I played for about the, for that five or six quite a bit. But then after that, between that and 2021, I really didn't play. The only time I played was if we happened to go down to St. George, which is about a seven hour drive from where I live. So it had to be a planned vacation. It only happened once or twice a year. So I really didn't play much. But in 2021, my oldest son was the state high school doubles tennis champion and he started playing pickleball in 2021 when he went to college and he fell in love with it so he said mom I'm gonna go play in a tournament do you want to come down and that was in Utah I was living in Idaho at the time so I said yeah sure so I called up my daughter who was his mixed doubles tennis partner in high school and I said hey Kylie Seth is gonna play in this tournament do you want to go and be my doubles partner? And we won't care if we win because we're going to have no clue what we're doing. 
And that was pretty much the case. We really didn't know what we were doing, but we had a blast. So after that, the whole family took up pickleball because it had now migrated north and everyone in like the Wasatch Front of Utah where Salt Lake City is, it had become pretty big. So now me and all my kids are pretty active in playing pickleball. Yes, and I'm curious about one thing because you mentioned you ended up getting to go to St. George for PA school, I think it was, but it doesn't sound like you played a whole lot of pickleball when you were there. Is that right? No, that rotation was only about five, five or six weeks long, if I remember right. And yeah, I mean, I was working full time in a pediatric office treating patients and I was studying for my pediatric exams. So I didn't have a ton of free time, but I wasn't my kids weren't with me. And so I didn't have, I had that spare time when I would have been kind of playing mom that I could learn how to play pickleball because they were home in Idaho with their dad. So I did have time that I was able to play enough that I could learn it well enough that I taught the woman I was actually staying with, who's a family friend. I taught her how to play and she would go play with me. She's in her seventies, I would guess. But it wasn't a lot of time. And really, in between 2013 and 2021, I bet I played pickleball less than 15 times. Wow. Well, it's great that you were able to get back into it in 2021. And I know that there was a post that went viral on on Facebook. And I think it was Dane Gingrich, who I've actually interviewed on the Pickleball Fire podcast before, she posed a question, and I think it was, why do you play pickleball? And you had a very unique answer, because I think it was actually what drives you to play pickleball. Right, right. It's funny, because I'm going to just admit, I had no clue who Dane was when I saw that post. And I was so clueless about who the big players are in pickleball. I had just learned who Ben Johns was the day before. So. I and a friend had been talking to me the day before and told me about that group. And I was actually sitting in the emergency department as a patient when I made that post. And I posted an answer to his question that pickleball for me, I have to exercise with the medical condition that I have. It's a very rare condition. Um, it is progressive. It's considered terminal. There's no cure for it. It progresses at a different rate for each patient. And it's hard to say which patients are going to do okay and respond to the medications and which patients aren't. But I respond really well to the medications and I do really well. I'm convinced because I exercise. And I actually did a video yesterday and posted it online about the benefits of exercise with the condition that I have and the physiology behind why it helps. And so when I answered Dane's question, it really was pickleball for me as a matter of staying alive because I have to keep my cardiopulmonary circuit systems in good condition or I'm going to decompensate very quickly and end up in significant right-sided heart failure. So I let him know I have to play on oxygen, high flow oxygen. I have a 
24-hour essential IV that is going right to the entrance of my heart and it dumps medication in my heart 24 hours a day, I will be on that for the rest of my life. And so it's just what I have to do. And that's what I put on there was I play with oxygen on my back. I play with my AV pump in a band around my waist. Takes me about 45 minutes to get everything ready to get on the court. But it's really worth it every time because physically I feel so good when I play pickleball and keep my conditioning up my health status, my physical fitness at a high level. It's great to hear how pickleball is helping you. And it sounds like, so on the court, you wear a backpack with a certain type of oxygen in it, right? Yes. It's liquid oxygen. It's high flow. When you see commercials out there for all those little backpacks, the oxygen concentrators that you can buy, they really don't produce very much oxygen at all. They only produce about roughly one liter a minute, depending on the concentrator. Once you get to the point that you need two to three liters a minute on a concentrator, the machines get bigger, they get heavier, they start getting in the 20 plus pound range and you have to start pulling them behind you on a cart. Once you get above three liters a minute, there really is not a portable machine that will do that. You end up tied just kind of tethered to one of those home oxygen concentrators that can produce more oxygen. The only modality of portable oxygen that is possible to carry when you need four liters a minute or is liquid oxygen. And that is the cutoff according to insurers and Medicare for when a patient qualifies for liquid is that four liters a minute. And once you qualify for that, the trick then becomes getting it because 90 plus, at least 90 plus, possibly 95 plus percent of the insurers and the, or sorry, the oxygen suppliers in the United States no longer supply liquid oxygen. And it's a reimbursement issue, unfortunately, and something that I've worked with the American Thoracic Society, the Pulmonary Hypertension Association, and some others, and I'm still working on trying to get that fixed because that backpack that I wear, when it's full, it weighs about 15 pounds, but it can dispense up to 15 liters a minute of oxygen, continuous. And I play on 10. So there is no way I could play pickleball without liquid oxygen. I'm incredibly fortunate that they still have it available in Idaho where I live. But unfortunately, there is no one in the entire state of Utah that will dispense liquid oxygen anymore. So I have a second home down there, but I cannot live down there permanently because I have to have liquid oxygen or I can't play pickleball. If I can't play pickleball, I can't keep my conditioning at a level that it needs to be at. And if I can't keep my conditioning in in line, I'm going to decompensate, end up in right heart failure. My pulmonary hypertension is going to progress and I'm going to be looking at a double lung transplant. So this whole process has to stay in place for me, but it hinges on getting that liquid oxygen, which is why when I'm in Utah, I have to drive six hours round trip every week to pick up my oxygen so that I can continue to play. 
That is so sad when you hear about something that's really kind of a catch-22 and it's really, truly a life-or-death issue. Yeah, it's something, there are a lot of us in the medical field, a lot of us that want to get this resolved because I have it. I could just sit back and say, I have it and it's available to me and I can play pickleball and I can do all the things that I want to do and I have an amazing life. But the situation at that point is not about me. It's about all the people that don't have it, who can't get out of their home, who are tethered to a machine, who can't go to the grocery store. They can't go to the hairdresser. They can't go to the bank because they don't have portable oxygen. It's a high enough flow for them. And so they stay home. They do not exercise. They decompensate and they lose functional status and then end up having difficulty with just basic life activities, keeping house and cooking. And so you really see this need for people to have access to the medical necessities that they require to keep them going. And once they lose access to that, they decompensate. So this fight for me, for liquid oxygen access to restore it, it's not about me because I have it. It's about everyone else that doesn't have it. Wow. Now, in terms of you and where you are, do you wear the backpack if you're not playing pickle? Sometimes I do because, like, for instance, vacuuming is difficult difficult for me. So if I know, especially if I'm going to go hiking or go on a walk, anything exertional requires it. If it's going to be me just going on a slow walk or doing something with friends, maybe just doing some basic normal things at home, then I don't need it. But if I do anything that's going to get my heart rate going, which happens pretty quickly, then I've got to have it with me. And I definitely, wherever I go, it goes with me. So if I go out of town for the day to visit my sister or go anywhere, I make sure I've got oxygen backpacks loaded up and in my car. Right. That absolutely makes a lot of sense. And then when you are on the pickleball court with your backpack, what kind of reaction do you get from the other players? Oh my goodness. It's really funny, actually. I I remember one time I met a gentleman who wanted to play and he picked, he was going to carry my bag for me and my oxygen backpacks were in this bag that I had with all my stuff. But I have two of those backpacks, so they're about 30 pounds. And then I've got my drinks, and I've got my food, and I've got a bunch of other stuff. So my bag, by the time I walk out the door, is it's in between 40 to 50 pounds. And so he picked up my bag, and he was so surprised. And he said, what? Wow, why is your bag so heavy? And I just kind of laughed, and I said, oh, you'll see in a minute. (laughs) And we got on the court, and I... I'm in my tennis clothes and I open my bag and I pull out the oxygen and I put it on and he had no idea that I wore it. And he looked really concerned and he said, is this going to be okay? Or are you going to be okay? And I I told him, I said, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to forget I have it on in a few minutes. So because I move really well on the court, because I can, because I have the oxygen. And so I get a lot of people that They do ask if I'm okay. They ask if something's wrong. They ask what happened. Now, I think people assume I wear it because of COVID. 
but it has nothing to do with COVID. It's because I was born premature. I've had this disease my whole life. So, and then once I tell people just real quick that they often ask, which I think is very polite of them, can I ask why you wear oxygen? And I'm more than happy to tell them why I wear it. And I kind of use it as my pitch to help restore liquid oxygen access. But they're very kind about it once they understand. And they, I often get comments about it. They're just so grateful to see me out there on the court and doing what I can do and making that effort and not giving up. And are there some actual challenges to wearing the backpack when you're on the court playing? Yeah, there are. So it's, it's 15 pounds. And you're trying to, when you're running, and especially if you're hitting an overhead, or if you're trying to get down low, you're trying to keep your body balanced. But I have 15 pounds that's kind of shifting around on my back. And I only weigh 135 pounds to start. So, you know, if you think, take 12 or 13% of your body weight, throw it on your back, and then hope it stays in place while you're moving around a bunch of different directions. Sometimes it does get a little frustrating. The other thing that it does is often rubs my shoulders raw because it's a canvas, they're thick canvas straps for the back. When I start to feel the skin's getting a little bit raw or it just, after you're on the court for two or three hours, it just starts to feel heavy. I just have to tell myself not to think about it, that it's just what I have to do. The biggest problem is the cannula will move around while I'm playing. And sometimes it'll get caught, pull my head back, or it'll kind of get a little bit twisted on my neck or something. And it often comes loose. So I would say if I don't actually tape my cannula tight around my head, it will, I'll need to adjust it and tighten it every few points. So it's a little frustrating. Sometimes I wish I could just take the cannula off and take the backpack off and not have to wear it. but it's not an option. So I don't know that people necessarily notice that are playing with me how often I adjust it, but I am constantly adjusting the straps and the cannula on that backpack as I play. That definitely sounds like a challenge. And I think you mentioned earlier in the interview that it can take you 45 minutes just to get ready to play. And then you've got the challenges of the backpack actually rubbing on your shoulders, but it it sounds like you you still will play for two or three hours at a time. Are you kind of limited in the number of times you played during the week because of all the time and the physical issues just from wearing the backpack? I'm very fortunate to be in the situation I am with not needing to work full time anymore. It's kind of a long story behind that. I don't practice medicine anymore, but I'm in a financial situation that I don't have to. So which affords me the ability to rest when I need to be able to. The thing about the disease that I have, which I guess I should have said the name of it earlier in the podcast, it's pulmonary arterial hypertension, is it's very fatiguing. And so think of my heart is trying to push against a much higher level of pressure in my lungs than the average individual. So because of that, it has to be that my heart rate's higher. So my resting heart rate often is in the 90s. So it's as if I'm 
running a slow jog all day long. So I get kind of tired. It's not uncommon for me to need a couple naps during the day. So what I'll do is get up in the morning, get ready, go play pickleball, come home and rest, take a short nap if I need to before I start the rest of my day. Some days I feel like I'm spending too much time on the court and I have other things I need to get done. But I've realized if I don't play a minimum of three times a week, I start to decompensate. So I told myself so that I would not feel guilty about how much I play that it's a prescription for me, that pickleball and exercise is a prescription. I have to do it 10 to 12 hours a week. If I don't do it, I decompensate. So, and I'm able to do that. And what I find, interestingly enough, and I think this is probably the case with most people that do athletics, but with my condition, you would think it would be a little limiting. The more I play, the more I can play. So last summer when the weather was beautiful, there's pickleball courts all over in Utah County. I was playing four or five, once in a while, six days a week. And as long as I continue to play, and I can play two to three hours a day. If I play more than three hours, I'm wearing myself out and then I have a difficult time playing the next day. But my conditioning is good enough, at least now to keep in mind, The reason I can do that is because pickleball is start and stop. With my medical condition, I cannot do anything sustained. So I could not, certainly could not run or ride a bike or do anything exertional for more than probably two minutes straight. But because pickleball starts and stops, I'm able to play a point take a break for a few seconds, play a point, take a break for a few seconds, and the games are short. And in between changing opponents and partners in between those games, I get a rest for a few minutes, which is how I'm able to play two to three hours a day. Right. That all makes sense. And I think I had read somewhere that maybe somewhat recently you had one month where you didn't play pickleball. What was the result of that on your body? And mind. I suspected it was I now initially it wasn't supposed to be. I had a friend that needed help with a project, and it was supposed to be a week. And I realized when I started helping on this project, it was a big enough of an issue that this was not going to be a week. It was going to be more than a week. And I thought, well, it'll probably be two weeks. And then it was three weeks. And at three weeks, I remember telling this individual. I actually can't keep helping you on this. I can't keep doing this because my heart is starting to decompensate and I can already feel it. And I have got to, I have got to start playing pickleball again. I've got to get back on my, my medical bandwagon, I guess you could say. And so I noticed about two and a half weeks in, I was quite a bit more tired, surprising how much more tired I was. And I started to lose muscle mass, and it was noticeable that I was losing muscle mass. By about three and a half weeks or so, um, the muscle atrophy had become more noticeable. I was more tired. And I started to notice at that point when I would look in the mirror, I would see that my lips were psychotic or that they were starting to go blue at rest, just standing there, not doing anything, which meant my pulmonary hypertension was progressing. Like, 
I was decompensating. It went on total, I think it was about four or five weeks. By the end of that time frame, I was noticeably my noticeably more tired with doing just normal activities. I had a lot more chest pain and chest pressure. I was more short of breath and my lips were consistently cyanotic if I did very much even just walking around the house. So I ended that project and immediately started playing pickleball again. And within about two weeks, I started to recover. And the chest pain is now gone. The chest pressure is gone. It's rare for me to look in the mirror now and see that my lips are blue. I'm still not quite where I when I discontinued playing for that short time frame. But it was for me, I thought, wow, this is a great medical experiment of the necessity of exercise, not probably just in pulmonary hypertension, but just for people in general, of how quickly you can decompensate if you get off a routine that is helping to prop you up and keeping you conditioned. Right. And like you said, in response to Dane's post there on Facebook, you are plain to stay alive. Now, Angela, your story is so inspiring. And there might be some people who want to reach out to you. Where is the best place for them to get in contact with you? a few different ways they could do that. I do have a chronic disease and PAH education page on Facebook titled Zebra Lungs. My name on Instagram is also Zebra Lungs, or they could reach out to me on my personal Facebook page, which is Angela Galifant. And my email, if they want to get a hold of me via email, is Angela H. Mail, M-A-I-L, at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, it was great to have you on the Pickleball Fire podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for letting me share that. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 